Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to Fantasy the Podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I am Trayvell Anderson. And I am coming to you from New York City in a, an echoey office, but here nonetheless, Jarrett Hill. Coming up on the show today, we've got a fun conversation talking about something that's actually really terrifying to me. We'll get into that in just a few moments. I'm about to say, you called it fun, and I was like, oh my God. You know, we're, we're going to do our very best here to talk about artificial intelligence and the reasons that I'm a little bit horrified and we're going to try to smile through. But first, Travel, we've got to get into a conversation we were going to have somewhere else, but we're going to have it here instead. Not that tease. I don't know why you did that, but okay. You know, keep people on their toes. We are going to do a Pass the Popcorn today on The Age of Pleasure. Janelle Monae's new album is out. Okay, it marks what some are calling a new, more sexually liberated era for the artist also known as Cindy Mayweather, okay, or Django Jane. (laughs) Okay. Or the Arc Android. So, or the Arc Android. (laughs) (laughs) So, we're going to talk about it because we both had thoughts. And as you mentioned, we were supposed to do it on another show, but we are going to do it here. So, go ahead. What what are your top line thoughts about the age of pleasure? So, the introduction to this album for me was Janelle's interview on Angie Martinez. And so getting to hear her talk about like the inspiration for the album, which she talked about it coming from uh, everyday people, um, a party I still have not been able to go to. I missed this week's everyday people this past weekend's everyday people in Los Angeles as well. But like her talking about like the vibe of everyday people was really like, okay, now I have an idea of what to expect from this album. And I love like, I I feel like it's a weird word to use, but I just love like how this album feels like it moves, right? Like when you're listening to it, like you can't like sit still. I thoroughly enjoy like the full vibe of the album. And that was, that's like my first top line note about like how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. I've played it now through a couple of times and like, I just always feel my like, Shoulders going back and forth. Just a couple? Well, listen, I'm busy. I'm traveling. I'm, I'm a busy person, okay? Oh, and, and I'm not? I wasn't at the listening party with Janelle, so I can't really speak to what it must have been like to have that experience. Not only was I at the listening party with Janelle, I also had listened to it months ago when I interviewed Janelle Monet for the Ebony Magazine cover in March. Thank you very much. Wow. So I've been heard the album. A flex. Okay? And I'm still playing it, okay? Because I think she got some... She got some kind of drugs in 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 them words and in that music. I think it's in the horns, okay? Okay. I think it's in the horns. You know how I feel about a horn. I'm I'm being I'm being for serious. I'm being for serious because them horns, okay, are working. You know I love a horn. This entire album. What do you love about it? So for me, I think yeah that that vibe thing that you mentioned is is there. But for me, I find it to be. So much in conversation with, you know, the things that I love about Renaissance, with the things that I love about mm-hmm. Lil Nas X's album, with the things that I love about even just witnessing Grace Jones at at uh, WeHo Pride the other week. There's something there, right, in those collection of, of images that feel right and feel of this moment and feel very necessary, right? And then also it's just like, now hold on. I went a little too long without giving a little bit of critique 
and I just needed to say, why is this album 30 minutes? What is happening? You know, can we... Let's just hang out there for a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I shouted out Kiki Palmer's album last week. Her album is called Big Boss, and I've been playing that. Now, that album I've played multiple times as well. Mm -hmm. But I do remember thinking, like, oh, this is short. Like, this is... This is a solid 30 minutes and, you know, Janelle is giving us 14 tracks and 32 minutes, but this is, this is kind of, we're, we're talking about the age of pleasure, but we need to be talking about the age of, of, you know, brevity <laughs> because like all of the songs these, these days, mm -hmm. you know, if a song is more than a minute and a half, they've really invested at this point. And I miss, <laughs> I miss the age where we were getting nine, uh, nine minute songs. Right. And I, oh. I love that type of bullshit. And uh, I, I, I want to give me like the, the instrumental where I can just kind of hit to it for a few minutes, mm, just mm. right there at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that, that is one thing that's probably the most frustrating thing mm -hmm. for me about the album is how short it is. Mm. Like, you know, but e even in spite of that, right, I can hear the mixes already with renaissance right i can hear the mixes already like i need somebody to take one of them horn <laughs> one of the horn moments from from industry baby okay and put it with the horn uh and the and the the drumline moment from um i forget which song it is on this album but like i need somebody to do that for me for me specifically right do you have favorite tracks standout tracks? i can tell you who i was most excited to see on this album and I feel like this person does not get enough love. Mm -hmm. I would say it has to be Dochi. Like, I am such a Dochi fan. Period. Anything that Dochi does, I want to be a part of. I want to see it. I want to hear it. I want to watch it. I want to I want to be there for it. And so I was like, before I even heard the song, I was looking at the features and I was like, oh shit, it's a Dochi song? I'm in. Period. Period. Absolutely. That's called Phenomenal. That's the one called Phenomenal. That might be my favorite track okay. on the album because when i heard it okay months ago it didn't have the feature none none don't do it don't, no, okay, i'm just saying on. don't don't keep doing this when i heard it oh what was it 2019 when i heard the album before she recorded it um i just <laughs> whatever don't keep carrying on i'm just saying when the the version i listened to in janelle monet's hollywood hills home studio um <laughs> you know what i'm i'm done Cut it out! What? Cut it out! Don't okay. do it. But but seriously though, for that interview, when I when I listened to it, it didn't have the features. The only the only song that had the features was "Float" because we knew that that you know that was already the single you know that was was out from the album. But none of the other tracks in the version that I listened to had features, and so then to see. I should say here these features as I was listening to it when it came out I was like absolutely you got Nia Long on here doing some spoken word act absolutely age of pleasure you bet you bet you bet your golly wow I think you meant better by golly wow listen I wasn't <laughs> sure you know it was a reference a little bit before my time but I was like it's coming but it didn't come fully formed but you know please leave me alone please leave me alone <laughs> I just want to say like I also love like from a, another high level perspective like I really enjoy Janelle's evolution right the ways that we've kind of seen her grow and develop over time and become what 
what who she is now and the way we kind of see that happening like to see her talking about sexuality in this way like last in the last album we got pink right where she's giving us the pants in the in the video and like all that kind of stuff and like this this album is giving us the opportunity to see like that grow and express more and like as a person who is like really trying to figure out or not necessarily figure out but like embrace sexuality and figuring out how to do that in the midst of like faith and community and being a person that is public and all that kind of stuff like it's really encouraging and exciting um to see her doing this and like every time i hear her start off saying i love lipstick i like lipstick on my neck i'm like go off bitch like let's go like i like lipstick on my neck <laughs> i like lipstick it's on my so neck good. like it's so good period <laughs> and listen me too girl i too i too like lips i'm just saying wow okay 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 i the fact that there's a song, just the title water slide, I was like, let's go. Like, let's end it. Like, I'm I'm so in. Like, I'm so in. Oh, my God. It's so good. I do. I wanted to know one thing really quickly before we get out of here. Mm-hmm. One, I mentioned Grace Jones. Ooh la la. Grace Jones is on The Age of Pleasure. Grace Jones is also on Renaissance. As I mentioned, Grace Jones headlined We Hope Pride the other week. And uh, RuPaul's Drag Race just did a challenge, a Grace Jones challenge. There's a resurgence of some sort, some reawakening perhaps of the audience and, and of the world to Grace Jones as the icon that she is. And I just love that. So that's one thing I wanted to say. And then two, I do think it's interesting how Janelle Monae is talking in this moment about how her leaning into this particular era, right, of of her becoming, of her unfolding, as Akweke Amezi would say, is in part a rebellion toward the ways in which we as John Q. Public were, not we, because I didn't participate, were using, you know, how they, you know, comported themselves with all of the suits and the black and white, you know, um, in previous iterations of their creativity as like a, using her as like an example of the type of woman you should be, the type of person you should be, right? Juxtaposed with, you know, the more sexier revealing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And how she wanted to push up against that. And so I say all that to say the album is working on, you know, so many different levels, not just musically and creatively, but also in this broader like recognition of, of visibility and the faults therein. And I really wish I was in somebody's black feminist theory class right now so that i could write a paper about this album (laughs) about this album about this album specifically when i was in grad school (laughs) i took a black feminist theory class really quick story and we get out of here i'm a black feminist theory class at Spelman when i was at morehouse but i dropped it because it was an it was a it was an elective just for fun and i was like oh baby this is intense this is work work senior year i got to go so i dropped it (laughs) i got to go but when i got to stanford i also i took a black feminist theory elective there and i wrote a paper putting in conversation fantasia janelle monet because you know fantasia got to be in everything i mean fantasia janelle monet and i think it was erica badu perhaps um and i wrote a paper about you know their music and 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 
the history and the importance. Um, anyway. I, I will say the, the other thing I want to know is I thoroughly enjoy Hot. It's uh, track number five. It starts off with, they say I look good. Oh. They say I look hot. Like, it's, I look hot. They say I look pretty. <laughs> Can't tell me I'm not. Like, it's <laughs> so good. Big purr. Y'all make sure to go check out The Age of Pleasure from Janelle Monet. This is not an ad, by the way. Just want to be clear. But we're thoroughly enjoying the album. <laughs> but, like, I, please go check it out. Let us know what you think about it. Hit us up on social media um, at Fanti Podcast. Um, and let us know what you think about The Age of Pleasure from Janelle Monet. You can go check it out on all the different streaming platforms. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into... <sighs> We're going to get into artificial intelligence and the thing that's been kind of keeping me up a little bit. We'll be right back. My fellow graduates, for 500 episodes, my podcast, The JV Club with Janet Varney, has gathered story after story of all the scandalous things we've done throughout our childhoods. Wait, what's happening? Stories like how Jamila Jamil survived a horrific house party and she was on crutches. Or how Hal Lublin learned a Shakespearean monologue in his pajamas. This is not the speech we approve. Without your love and life tragedies, there would be no podcast. In fact, I'll have an exclusive look at how Maggie Lawson's mom confronted her after a sneaky basement meetup with her crush. Spill the tea, JV. Security! Uh, uh, listen to the JV Club with Janet Varney Thursdays on Maximum Fun! Class of forever! Welcome back to Fanti. So people have this incredible love-hate relationship with artificial intelligence. On one hand, we can't help but be amazed by its potential to transform our lives. I mean, who wouldn't want tasks automated, efficiently boosted, and decisions optimized? AI promises convenience, personalization, and groundbreaking advancements across industries like healthcare, transportation, and entertainment. But let's not overlook the concerns. We worry about AI's ethics, uh, like biased algorithms and privacy breaches. And there's this nagging fear that AI will snatch away our jobs and leave us disconnected from what makes us human. We're starting to realize the importance of responsible development and regulation to ensure AI's benefits align with our values and well-being. It's a tricky balance, but one we can't afford to ignore. Okay, I'm going to stop here. That there was what Fanti would sound like if it was hosted by ChatGPT. If you're not familiar with ChatGPT, it's the new system that people have been talking about that will write up just about anything you ask it to almost instantaneously. It's kind of also the new villain in the dystopian film we're all living through the first act of. More on that in a moment. I went on to ChatGPT and asked it to write an intro about the mixed feelings that people have. I said love and concerns about artificial intelligence, and it wrote that whole paragraph. Kind of creeped me out. That was my first time using it because I've been very anti. For the Apple Hive, AI has been part of our lives for years. Siri's been unavailable and trying to connect with the internet since 2011. My Gmail has been trying to figure out finishing my sentences and reply on my behalf for probably years now. And algorithms have been figuring out how to put things in front of us that it thinks we'll like since probably the early 2000s. And autocorrect has been getting on our ducking nerves for years, having had its origins as far back as 1993, according to a piece in The Atlantic, which was kind of hard to believe. We've all heard of, and many of us have seen the films and TV shows where the machines kind of get smarter and smarter and 
helping us to do things, but they're also kind of like dumbing us down and then they take over. So let's get into the complex and complicado of the A and the I. Travel. opening question here is, what is the earliest engagement you remember having with artificial intelligence? Well, hmm. I think artificial intelligence as like a term, right? Like, I think there are things that that were artificial intelligence, but we didn't articulate them as artificial intelligence in in the, in the culture at that time. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned <laughs> Clippy, the little paperclip figure from Microsoft back in the day. And I would have never thought of that as artificial intelligence, but I guess it was? Question mark? Well, to that point, I I looked it up because I was like, I feel like that's the earliest thing I remember. Clippy, or as it was initially named Clip-It, and people started calling it Clippy, um, was from Microsoft Word on Windows 97. Clippy was, quote, an intelligent user interface, as they called it. Uh... Um, I looked it up on Wiki because I couldn't really find a whole lot of data about it. But, like, it it was basically a machine figuring out how to use the information available to it within Microsoft's Windows system to answer very specific questions. Uh Very specific questions. Um, But now, 200 years later, ChatGPT and various other kinds of AI, the information source that they're using is the whole of the internet, which is, you know, making things interesting um, in a whole other kind of way with ChatGPT. I was just thinking, I was like, oh, is Ask Jeeves AI? But I was like, that's just like a search engine. So that's different. No, that was Google. No, yeah, that was just Google. Right. It was basically a search engine. I mean, you put questions in, but it was like searching. Yeah. Okay. Shout out to Ask Jeeves, though. That's a reference. Cause ask Jeeves, the man in the tuxedo with the with the coattails, with the with the the serving thing and with all the answers. May he rest? Cause I know that old white man is dead. Half of the people listening to this don't know what a ask Jeeves is, honey. At all. At all. Okay. <laughs> Let's get into the fan and the anti. What are you thoroughly enjoying about artificial intelligence? So here's the thing. I don't know if there's anything that I'm like consciously enjoying you know what i mean like is it is it is it good and do i do uh abuse the use of siri absolutely you know hey siri set an alarm for 6 a.m you know hey siri what's the weather you know (laughs) i'm using her you know i just love the way you say her name (laughs) hey siri (laughs) I sound like Freddie Jean. If anybody know Freddie Jean on on TikTok, I cannot. You don't know Miss Freddie Jean. I don't know what that is, but sure. Okay, I'm gonna send you to TikTok later. Anyway, so I I have I make a lot of use of Siri specifically, and so I'm like, oh, that's that's good. I'm trying to think of other ways in which I'm like cognizant and like conscious of using. AI, because I think that's the thing, right? I think a lot of us are making use of AI and it's 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 having all of this impact in our day-to-day life and we just don't know it. So I think that's the important part of what you said consciously, right? Like, I don't even think that people think about Siri as being AI, mm. right? I don't think people think about autocorrect being AI. I don't think people think about the various different ways that AI is already showing up in our lives. Go ahead. While you talk, I'm going to do, I'm going to pull out uh, your um, 
a tool out of your book. We're going to get a definition here any moment, <laughs> I promise you. What I appreciate, what I appreciate about um, the fan for me would be, I appreciate the way it, that it has made my life easier because you just used one of the perfect examples of the ways that I'm always using AI. I probably ask Siri to set an alarm or a timer at least four or five times a day, mm. right? With the kind of calendar that I have, I love to set an alarm for 10 minutes before I got to do some shit so I can snooze it <laughs> and have another minute, right? Before I got to get in the Zoom meeting or make that phone call or whatever it is. Like that is one of the things that I love so much. And it's so much more convenient to be able to do it on my watch, do it on my phone, to be able to walk into the house and say, you know, Siri or Google or whatever the shit is that I'm using at the time. Alexa, Alexa is artificial intelligence, right? Alexa is able to buy on your behalf, able to do all types of things, play the music, stop the thing, turn the mm. lights on, do all types of things like that. And like those kinds of things are artificial intelligence, right? They're figuring out what you're saying, what you're asking for, and being able to translate that into an action. And like, it's, it's something that I think people are using unconsciously mm -hmm. a lot more than they think they are. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I look. I was reading a little, a little like you know, academic definition because you know sometimes you know it's the sociologist in me. What can I say? But translation, you weren't listening to me. No, no, I was listening to you because I'm multitasking. Okay, I've been listening. You talked about Alexa ordering stuff for you and starting the music and stopping it. I was paying attention. Thank you very much. That ain't what I said at all. Artificial intelligence, this is the Wikipedia definition, not the academic article that I was perusing. Artificial intelligence is intelligence, perceiving, synthesizing, and inferring information demonstrated by machines, as opposed to intelligence displayed by humans or other animals. Example tasks in which this is done include speech recognition, computer vision, translation between languages, as well as other mappings of inputs. Mm -hmm. AI applications include advanced web search engines. Not ask Jeeves. Recommendation system. Well, it says, for example, Google search. <laughs> recommendation systems. You said advanced Ask Jeeves was not advanced. <laughs> Valid point. Valid point. Valid point. Valid point. AI applications include advanced web, web search engines, recommendation systems, which are used by YouTube, Amazon, and Netflix, understanding human speech, such as Siri and Alexa, self-driving cars, mm. generative or creative tools, which is what ChatGPT is and AI art, as well as automated decision-making and competing at the highest level in strategic game systems such as chess. But like, to me, I think, I think that some people really think that like they started using AI when they put their photos into Lenza and got those different animated looking photos of themselves, right? And it's like, yeah, that's one version of AI, but you've probably been using AI for a mm. decade at least mm -hmm. and did not know it. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about the ways that like we are unconsciously using it. And the reason that mm -hmm. it's concerning to me from an unconscious perspective is that like, we are not even aware of the ways that it's collecting data on us, right? Of the ways that it is use, hearing our voices, learning our voices, getting used to the way that we write. Oh, yes. Um, I will tell you that Gmail, the replies down at the bottom of the email still haven't figured out that I'm writing in all lowercase or what my voice is giving when I'm writing. But like, she's going to figure it out sooner or later, I know. <laughs> you know, when I think about like, 
the quote unquote benefits, right? The fan parts of of artificial intelligence as defined as, you know, that definition. I'm just like, oh, wow, there's actually like a lot of positivity uh, that we've already, you know, experienced. What do you mean by that? A lot of positive benefits that we've already experienced, right, as a result of artificial intelligence, all of the different types of convenience, you know, the fact that I could go on Google and, you know, pull this up, right? Like how everybody has made use of autocorrect, right? Like mm-hmm. all of these different things. And it's like, oh, wow, actually, you know, you've been swimming in these AI waters for a little minute, you know? And I, I was going to say prior to that definition, I was going to say that like, I'm sure AI has the benefit and the possibility of like, just like improving, you know, a variety of circumstances for folks with, you know, various health or, or ability, you know, situations that they're navigating and thinking of how AI can, you know, be, uh, a solve, produce some sort of solve or or solution or aid um, in helping them navigate the world. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I, th- I feel like this is a good opportunity for us to move into the anti, right? I think we're, we're kind of clear on what we appreciate about her. But the, the real concern for me about AI actually only recently started. I was on a plane and I remember reading an article that CNET the tech website had just had been using AI to populate certain articles. And I was like, wait, what? And that was really alarming to me. And as I read the piece, they were talking about how they had, they had been using AI to populate certain types of articles where it was aggregated data of like with numbers, right? Watching the markets and that kind of stuff. And then there was a, a live human that was editing that. And it was, alarming to me because i was like oh this is this is the beginning of like a bigger problem for us in journalism right journalism is already under attack in many different ways that we that we're familiar with but like i was thinking to myself like oh that's jobs right there's someone whose job it was to analyze the markets and be able to synthesize what was happening and ai is going to be doing that now in a way that is probably in some ways a little bit more foolproof but also in a way that is going to have like none of the nuance of humanity in it. And like that distinction, I think, is really, really important. But then you pointed out to me that BuzzFeed had said, uh, I think it was you that pointed out to me that said BuzzFeed was going to be using AI to uh, replace some of their their um, journalists who are doing the diversity verticals, diversity verticals. When I was at NBC News as a freelancer, we had uh, verticals like NBC BLK, which was content that was for, by, and about Black people. We had uh, NBC Out, which was content for, by, and about LGBTQ plus people. And so I, about the LGBTQ plus community. And so I, I, the idea that they're going to use AI to kind of replace diversity verticals at BuzzFeed, one, I think um, is disrespectful as fuck. Right. Like we'll try it out on you people, right. On your stories and your, your humanity and your, your, and and the ways that we value you, that was alarming to me, but it's also like concerning just as a journalist in general, like the idea that these kinds of things are happening. And I don't really know what we can even do about it. Just a, you know, little asterisk there. It was the, the company that owns Huffington Post and, and BuzzFeed, they said that they they did not say that they were using going to use AI to replace journalists who are doing that work, but well, right. That's ultimately the impact, right? The impact is that, you know, if and when 
it becomes a profitable thing, right? And something that can be automated, right? That likely the folks who are part of doing that storytelling on those types of spaces might be impacted. But also, right, newsrooms have been using, already using artificial intelligence, and we just don't know whether that's in the writing of captions, whether that is in the writing of of, of pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen, um, I think you mentioned C- CNET. Um, there was another outlet that tested it out, has been testing it out. And so I think that is definitely like a major concern and thing we should be thinking about. But here's the thing, right? It's going to come regardless, right? Like... News, newsrooms are getting smaller. They are shuttering every day, right? Literally. Mm-hmm. Two major entities made made layoffs in the last seven days. And uh, part of a long list of other major entities making layoffs all this year, um, especially. And so mm-hmm. figuring out how AI shows up in news is, is something that we're going to have to get a grapple on. Um, especially I now think about, you know, all of the, the, what is it, the, what they call them, the deep fake stuff. You can have artificial intelligence art, right? Like AI art. You can, you can do AI music, right? We've, we've seen these different stories pop up in many different fields about the impact of AI on what they do. Um, and so my main question is, what will become of art and creativity where it seems like artificial intelligence is going, right? Because apparently we, we've been all at this artificial intelligence thing for a little minute. We just did not know. Since Clippy in 97. But like, I, <laughs> one of the other concerns to me, like I remember when I was reading about CNET doing this, the first thought that I had was about being a professor, Mm. right? So as a professor of journalism at USC, I'm thinking about, I go back to class in the fall and I'm like, I I didn't teach in the spring. And I'm thinking, how am I going to talk to my students about this, right? How am I going to talk to my students about this from a jobs perspective? How am I going to make sure that their in-class writing assignments are things that they're actually writing, right? Like uh, in my class, we like to do, we like to start the class with a writing assignment that is a a quick, like five, 10 minute write and we discuss it. And I'm like, how do I know these motherfuckers ain't just going to be on chat GPT? Like, give me a hundred words on whatever, Right. Like I there, it's going to be hard to know that. Right. And it also kind of makes me think about, I mean, my biggest story that I've ever broken was about plagiarism. Right. With Melania Trump and Michelle Obama. And it's like if I have students in class that are using chat GPT, I feel like this is kind of like the evolution of plagiarism in a way that we can't probably even track. It's one of the things that I'm thinking about when I go back to school. Like I need to be asking our administrators, like, how are we thinking about the fact that we have, you know, systems like like uh, turnitin.com and all that kind of stuff where we can run people's papers through it and make sure that they're not plagiarizing. They don't have to plagiarize anymore because they don't even have to think about it. They can go to this website, type it in and be done, right? It makes me nervous about it from that standpoint. But I'm also like, how am I, what am I supposed to tell students about you know, the jobs that are going to be available to them or not, or the kinds of work that they're going to be asked to do or not? Go ahead. I see you trying to get in. Thank you so much. Um, I think this is going to require us writ large to slow down, right? Like hearing 
you talk about like this concern as it relates to, you know, your students' works in particular. I'm thinking of, so we should say, right, um, when we were doing pre-proing this episode, in order to like, you know, show Jared a little bit more specifically of what chat GPT can do, we both put in, what was it, write a speech about or write an essay about Martin Luther King Jr. We both put it in and it spit out different information to us both yours was yours had like these little subheader situations mine was just a straight essay um some of the information was was similar but it was a different it was a different voice mm-hmm. but but the thing that was the same which leads me to say that i think it will require us to slow down in in those types of areas was the stilted tone right like it 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 both of them felt to me, and maybe this is just because how, you know, how involved with the written word uh, I am uh, and the spoken word we are. But the, the tone and like the, 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 the verbal part of the spoken part of what these, uh, what ChatGPT had spit out to me was like, ooh, that's rigid, right? And so then we went back in and I said, Make this more conversational. <laughs> so to that point, right, it gives you a lot of haze and mm's and reallys and like all kinds of like other kind of language, right? Yeah. Yeah. It like I was like, it 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 literally injected, you know, some of those things that we do. You I just said, you know, in the middle of my sentence. The more conversational essay had those types of interjections, right, in mm-hmm. in in the whatchamacallit. So if you were reading that out as a speech, it would it could sound a little bit more natural than that stilted version, right? That we that we talked about. And, but still, I think it, I I wonder if it will require us to like just slow down and take greater stock of that which is before us. Well, I think the challenge there is like, I will call you about something that I've written because you've been an editor, right? And like, I I respect the way that you write and the way that you think about it. And so like, I think that there is something that you can, not too much, I'm not going to give you any more than that. (laughs) But like, I think the challenge is being able to recognize that as artificial intelligence and not just not good writing, Mm. right? Because realistically in a class with 60 students, if I'm giving up doing a lecture hall or if I have a smaller class with with 12 different students, how am I supposed to know what your voice sounds like um, over the course of the first few weeks? And I mean, am I supposed to remember, you know what I mean, over the course of the semester? It's hard to be able to distinguish that and like know what this was and be like, "Mm -mm, bitch, I think that you put this in the computer machine. Like, I I don't know how we're supposed to do that. Well, if you are calling it the computer machine, you have already lost, okay? (laughs) Don't do me. I think I told you on the my first day of class last semester I mentioned TGIF from ABC on Friday nights and not one person knew what I was talking about. Now I'm always anxious about like what are the other moments I'm going to say something in class and no one's going to know what I'm talking about. It's that that is a real anxiety about about this job. Oh lord. I will also say though, um as I'm thinking about like the things that I'm concerned about that are like kind of freaking me out a little bit. I I can't ignore the ways in which I do think that AI is making us stupider. And like, it's not just AI, it's technology in general. Mm. The the thing that I always think about is phone numbers. Ciao. 
right? Like our phones have numbers programmed into them and favorites and, and like, I could not tell you the first three digits. I couldn't tell you the area code of your phone number, let alone what the full phone number was. I have not seen your phone number or typed it into my phone since you gave it to me, right? And like, we can regret that all day long. But like, I, I think about the times where I've, I've had to like call someone or my phone was dead or when I first turn my phone back on and it says text message from plus one and a number and da, da, da. And I'm like, who is that? And then it loads and it says who the thing is. I'm like, I would be up shit's Creek. Listen, okay. Right. And AI is like, AI is turning on my lights and setting my alarm and the timer and the this, that. And, the, and I'm like, if this shit stopped working, what would people do? Yeah. Right. Like how would people turn on the lights? Cause some people have all smart shit. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, I got to make sure I can hit a switch and turn something on. <laughs> it's, it's concerning to me that it is, that it is learning all of this stuff about us, figuring out how we, how we respond to things and, and also like where we live. I was thinking about the fact that my watch will alert me if my heart rate goes above a certain level. Right. It's done that. And I'm like, way too much of my business in your in your in your your app here but then like as i'm out walking right if i'm out walking for 10 minutes it'll be like hey are you outside on a walk would you like to track your 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 walk and i'll hit yes and it'll be like yeah you're 10 minutes in you've walked x amount of distance already you, your heart rate has been this and i'm like oh you've already been tracking that right and like now you know when i go walk now you know when my heart rate might be increased or if i'm doing whatever you kind of have a sense of like what i'm doing when i'm doing where i'm doing it that shit is creepy because when the machines take over they know better than i do well what the fuck i'm talking about what i'm thinking where i'm probably gonna go you know all that shit well now yes and yet you could also go analog do you still remember how to do with the hands on the clock do 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 one two three no i'm not familiar four or three right there I I can tell you, I have on my watch, if y'all are ever watching the show on YouTube, which you're not, I have a a focus setting on my phone that says uh, on air for when I'm doing the show, when I'm on television, when I'm doing whatever I'm doing, so that nothing is going to ring. And I have on my watch, it changes my watch face when I'm on the Mm -hmm. on air focus so that it is analog. I'm showing it here on YouTube so that you can see it. But like, whenever I'm looking at this shit, I'm like... Girl, what time does that say? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, who's reading an analog watch? I'm not. And I got to do the math. I'm like, okay, there's one, there's 30. Okay, it's one thirty. You could go old school. And what do they call them? A G-Shock? Is it called a G-Shock or something? Where it's, it's digital? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, go to break. <laughs> well, I want to say, I want to say one more thing that is concerning to me about this. Go with me and I'm going to bless you. I think about the ways that we can track people's progress, like public figures' progress, right? I think about Bill Maher. Bill Maher was a person who I think his progress stopped somewhere in the Obama years, right? And it was like, "Mm, this motherfucker's starting to turn around the other direction. I think about Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle in the last few years, the ways that he's addressed trans issues and and kind of responded to them, it's like, "Mm, this feels like where your progress is starting to recede. And I think about AI and the way that I'm concerned about it and like resistant to it. And I'm like, oh, is this the, is this where my progress starts to recede? (laughs) Right. Where I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not willing to go along that line. I'm not willing to go that far. And so I'm thinking about it from that lens as well. Like 
am I a progressive in the way that I think I am? Am I a big liberal the way that I think I am? Because I can see these changes coming and like, we're always like thinking about how things are going to change and evolve and like trying to embrace those things. But I'm like, yeah, but the people who created AI are coming out and saying like, yeah, this is a huge concern. We should be worried about this. This is, they're comparing it to like our, the way that we should be concerned about it to nuclear war and pandemics and things like that because of the ways that the machines aren't going to be able to understand and think on our behalf and predict what we're doing and all those different kinds of things. I think I'm okay with my progress kind of like being in a bit of a gray area when it comes to artificial intelligence. Cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not fully bought in, but I'm also like, you know, asking Siri to set the alarm and turn on the lights and all the shit. You've made a lot of face. Well, because that was a lot. You're welcome. The comparison example situation with, with Bill and, and you're welcome. That other dude was a, was a lot. You know, you could have chose other other examples. That those are some specific examples. Wow. We want to know what y'all think. Hit us up on social media. Use the hashtag #FansIFam. Y'all see the transphobia I have to deal with. I'm going to go and uh, say some really the transmissia. I'm gonna the silencing. Wow. I'm going to dwell in that for quite a while uh, while we take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into our dishonorable mentions and why y'all hate us so much and listener feedback. But make sure to hit us up on the social media at Fanti Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, we want to know what y'all think about AI. I, y'all have got to be concerned about this too, right? Right? Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Parenting. It's hard, but don't worry, you're not alone. Belly up to the low bar with One Bad Mother and let us remind you that fine is good enough. They want to climb on different things. And how am I supposed to keep them both from dying? <laughs> there is a right way to do this. And if I can figure out that right way, I'm going to be a good parent. So that is not a thing. So join us each week and let us tell you that you are doing a good job. You can listen to One Bad Mother on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, beautiful people. It's time to get into our listener feedback segment. Our opportunity to read out your letters, your comments, your concerns. You came in real hot there. I did because, okay. Are you looking at this clock? All right. We've got an email here uh, titled Feeling Happy from Stephanie. Stephanie says, hi, Jared and Trayvell. I'm catching up on some episodes and the conversation you had about being allowed to feel happy felt very familiar to me. For context, I work for a city councilor in a downtown area and we are constantly dealing with cases generated by the housing crisis, the opioid crisis, the climate crisis, etc. It is emotionally exhausting work and it's hard to say I am happy specifically. Happiness to me implies a level of obliviousness to the world around me. Mm. A phrase slash mantra I have found useful and actually intend to get a tattoo of is stay glad. Finding joy in gratitude feels like an act of resistance in a world that is trying to grind you down and actively identifying moments of gladness has helped protect my mental health. I'm glad when I get to read a book on my nice balcony or a friend comes over to cook dinner and watch TV or I have time for a yoga class despite the bad things that trying to distract me. Maybe being happy is different than finding moments of happiness, but not necessarily superior, question mark. Thanks for the pod, Stephanie. I almost, when we did that show and I talked about the allowance to feel happy, the next day, 
depression was like, oh, really, bitch? So how you doing? Right? And like, oh, so you happy? Oh, so so you happy? Oh, you're you're feeling good. Well, fuck that. Right? And like, it has been, I, I my intro the next week was going to be, um, I'm never pitching another segment on happiness because fuck her. Right? That whole thing really kind of came in like screwed up. But like, I, I think that this conversation around like feeling allowed to feel happy has been an interesting one to kind of hear people's feedback on because I, so many of us work in work that does not necessarily, you know, encourage us to feel happy or, or to like lean into our happiness because so much of us, so much of the work that we do is rooted in like our trauma and being able to speak up about it and those different kinds of things. So um, I appreciate this letter. Yeah. I like the idea of gladness over over happy or or instead of or as another way of thinking about being happy i'm down with that thank you for that stephanie and now it's time for our dishonorable mentions these are the story of people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or their foolishness i will get us started first off i've got an honorable mention for laquanya baker who was recently appointed by the colorado governor to the 18th judicial district court Okay, I know Laquanya. We went to high school together. Um, shout out to you know Black Lady Courtroom. Um, and <laughs> so shout out to her. Congratulations, love her. Fabulous, amazing. Also, a mention towards. It's not an honorable or dishonorable mention because I have like mixed thoughts and and feelings, and I, it's super complex. But as we went to record this morning, okay. British Vogue released their, you know, latest cover, or Monet is one of the people on the cover. And then inside there, they have, you know, this pride spread, because it's Pride Month, with presumably other LGBTQ qua. What is it? LGBT qua. That's what that's what they say on the TikTok. LGBT qua featured what? Listen, I don't know who they they are other than you. So I'm just letting that rock. You don't be on the TikToks. You don't be dipping it and doing it with the kids on the TikToks. So you you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, in the interview, so okay, for NQT Gatwa is the actor known for playing the the black guy in Sex Education. If you've watched that show on Netflix, okay. I will just note, he in his interview, he has not publicly said anything about him being queer or identity or or whatever and in this interview that he did for the z british vogue he just he says that it's just one way in which the actor expresses his sense of pride something which he says shouldn't be a privilege we shouldn't have to fight for it should be our god-given right for him pride also means freedom the freedom to not have to define your sexuality publicly something which is increasingly under threat in the current social media landscape where young actors like Heartstoppers Kit Connor can be accused of queer baiting, quote unquote, or pressured into coming out. Some fans may have made assumptions about Gatwa as a result of Eric's preferences. Eric is the character that he plays in Sex Education. But the article goes on to say he has been careful not to disclose his own. Quote, it's a safety and mental health thing, he replies, measuring his words when I raise the subject. After sex education, we all became public property to an extent. You have to fight for your right to privacy after that, but you also do feel like you owe people something. 
in setting my boundaries, I knew I wanted to separate the private and public and that I never wanted my personal life to overshadow my work. I also believe that everyone is on their own journey and it's important that no one feels an obligation to others in relation to what's happening to them internally. And that's what sex education is about, taking things at your own pace. Okay. Now listen here. Yes to everything that he has said. Okay. No, not a but. And why is he, if he is not LGBT, is not, cannot publicly identify and claim that language, don't want to be associated with that language despite behavior, you know, uh, perceived or actual behavior. Why is he in the spread for LGBT pride? Um, I, I don't have an answer to that, ma'am. Um, I didn't make the choice. <laughs> I know. That's not the, but I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. One more point. I just wonder, is pride being rebranded away from the homosexuals and the transgenders and the bisexuals? I, this makes me. And maybe it is. I just want to be, maybe it is. But like, that feels like something that we should be wrestling with as a community. We've had this conversation before on an episode where we talked about, I, I think the example that I used was the Abbey, right? When we talk about the Abbey is a nightclub in Los Angeles that is oh, a large yeah. queer club and, and um, has become very mainstream, right? It has like straight folks are just kind of always in there. We talked about how, you know, the goal is always to be to be accepted and embraced as a community, but like there's also a there's also a cost to that and that those spaces don't feel as safe for us. They don't feel as ours anymore. And I think that like this kind of feels adjacent to to that conversation about like other people being included in our celebration or other people being included in our conversation. And also a thought a related thought was about all of these straight people headlining pride. Which, which you know, we need to talk about that coming up next week on Fanti. <laughs> so, first things first, I'm in New York City right now. As I said, I'm here to host the Vision Awards for the Snowball Community Foundation. The day that you're getting this, I am the day that you're hearing this. I should say you are getting this on Thursday, and whenever you listen to it, I am here in Los Angeles. In- New York to host the Vision Awards. Um, this is my eighth year hosting. And so I want to give a shout out to all of our honorees, but also to Stonewall Community Foundation and the fantastic people here, because I'm at Stonewall right now, um, recording the show. Give them some love and shout out um, to, the, to the whole community here. I want to give a shout out to the Sherry Show. Um, we, t- we started off the television season last fall talking about daytime talk shows. And it's actually one of my favorite episodes that we've done. And we, we talked about the new class of Black talk show hosts that were coming in. And I will say that Sherry has been my favorite this season. I think Sherry has, gone, has done a really, really fantastic job of, of really being able to make that show her own. And I'm, I'm just thoroughly enjoying it. And I think that it's getting better and better from week to week to week. And like, I'm, I'm excited to see like where that will go. As for the other new ones, I'm, I'm rooting for y'all. I hope that you do well. But like Sherry, I think is the one that has really, really shown out and has done really well. So um, congratulations to that whole team over there. I want to also give a shout out to an app that I've had on my phone for a long time that I, I just kind of re-engaged with. It's an app called Be My Eyes. Um, it's an app that is with the artificial intelligence. <laughs> it sounds like that, but I promise you it's not. Um, it is actually for people who are visually impaired or blind, right? They, they're able to use the app to connect with a person 
on the other side who is seeing um, to be able to help them with different tasks. And so like occasionally the, the app might ring for you and say like, hey, there's a person that needs your help. And it's kind of like a FaceTime call in the app. And like the person is able to say like, hey, I'm in this place and I need to figure out what this thing is or what I'm where I am or how to find this thing or I drop something or whatever it is. Um, you can kind of help them and say like, oh, it's you know, if you go over to the left and you can see with their camera, what they're looking at, it's a really cool kind of thing that I've, I have. And I think that people should check it out. It's called Be My Eyes. It's in your app store. You can go to BeMyEyes.com to join. What is this face, girl? What is it? I'm just taking it in. I'm just taking it in. It just, it. Girl, you be having such an aggressive face sometimes. You be. I know. It's, I, I can't help it. I can't, but I'm just, I'm just taking it in. It's. It's just, this is, this is new. Also, I, I want to do almost a retraction and not quite a dishonorable mention, but it is kind of one. Last week, I talked about a new show called Seeking Brother Husband that you can find on the Max app. And um, I, I still thoroughly enjoy the show. And I think that there's really great conversation have, to be had around it and the ways that it is able to kind of like have conversation around um polyamory and the different ways that people uh, people's relationships are structured. But I do think that there's something that is that borders on irresponsible about the show after beginning to read a little bit more about it. Um, there's a Rolling Stone piece, and I'll, I'll make sure that we include the link in the episode notes. But one of the big questions that comes out of the, the show is like, what are the relationships like outside the show, right? We The show centers on women who have multiple relationships with men and they're bringing in another man into their relationships. But it doesn't talk about what the men's relationships look like um, outside of the marriage. And like they're, the men in those relationships also have other partners, but they don't discuss that. And I think it kind of borders on irresponsible because it, it they frame the conversations around polyandry, but it's really polyamory. And there is a distinction between the two. And one is about marriage and one is about relationships and those kinds of things. So you can check out the Rolling Stone piece if you're watching the show. I, I really enjoyed the show, but I think that the way that they edit could be better and more transparent. Um, and lastly, I want to give a shout out to Roberto Hannibal, who is free Berto on social media. There was this great tweet that he put out that I just thought was was really profound. And I want, Travel, you can click on it and see it. The tweet reads, and I quote, tater tots are the superior form of potatoes. And I'm just going to leave it right there. I'm just going to leave it right there because y'all know what it is. Now it's time for... Black history is happening every day. This past Sunday, we got to see some history in the making as the first two openly non-binary actors received a Tony Award and the Black! Actors Jay Harrison Gee for their role, uh, their lead role as Jerry slash Daphne in Some Like It Hot, and Alex Newell, the Alex Newell, okay, mm. in their featured role as Lulu in Shooked, which is the musical some, somehow related to corn. That's that's my only reference for, for that one. Beautiful to witness and and both of them, I imagine, deserve. I know Alex Newell, you know, as a as a talent specifically. That voice is just ridiculous. Listen, been been singing down since the Glee Project. Okay, I've been with Alex Newell since the Glee Project. Now, if you don't know what the Glee Project was, you too young. Go do your research. Okay. 
Anyway, shout out to both of them. I tweeted that night, the night of the Tonys, that it felt like something was happening culturally, like a shift was happening culturally. I don't know how to articulate it, but like, you know, I've been I've been seeing, you know, what just happened with both of of, of these actors. Also thinking about our um and the award goes to episode in which we were talking about the degendering of award shows comes to mm-hmm. mind in terms of being in conversation with this. But it was Alex and and uh, Jay Harrison, and then I was thinking about Janelle Monae as a you know as a, a non-binary person and being part of those kind of discussions now, and and so much more, so much more. Like I said, I I want to be in somebody's Black feminist theory class so I could write an essay. I don't have time to do it otherwise. Anyway, shout out again to Jay Harrison Gee and the legendary already Alex Newell. Congratulations. Before we get out of here, we've got a quick plug, okay? We See Each Other, the podcast is still going on, all right? This week, we just dropped episode seven, and it's all about sex work on screen. Shar and I also interview the director of The Stroll, which is a new documentary about sex workers and the meatpacking district that comes out on HBO, well, on Max uh, next week. Um, so we have Kristen Lavelle, who's co-director of that. We spoke to her. And then we also spoke to Dee Smith, who is the director of Kokomo City, which is another Black trans documentary that comes out in theaters next month. It's it's. I keep saying that the episodes keep getting better and better, and that's because I mean it, not just because, you know, we worked on it. These are it's so good. Super proud of the work um, and the conversation that we have there. So please check us out. All right. We are um, also, we also want to remind you that Travel's book is available right now. We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through t- TV and Film um, is available wherever you get your slay-worthy audio, your good books, your bad books, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, If you're watching us on YouTube, we really appreciate the love and support. We are on all of the different platforms wherever you uh, get your podcasts. We have three seasons of shows that predate us being on YouTube, but you can check um, all those episodes out wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a comment or suggestion about the show, you can hit us up on the social media at fantipodcast.com on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Use the hashtag fantifam. Or you can shoot us an email. Use fanti at maximumfun.org to shoot us a message and uh, we will be able to kind of maybe respond to it here on the show um, and get you some feedback. Yes, and if you would like to help us make this show, become a financially contributing member of the Fanti fam. Go to maximumfun.org slash join to do that. Our music is brought to you as always by Corey, C-O-R dot E-C-E, wherever you get slay-worthy music. Our graphics are by Ashley Wynn and the folks over at Moon House Creative. Our editor is Anne-Marie Huber and our producer is Palmira Muti. That was better, right? I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in an office right now and they're having a meeting on the other side of the wall, so I'm gonna say sure. And our singer producer is Laura Swisher. Booyaka, booyaka. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. You be clapping, honey. You be clapping. I thought that was a heavy duty church clap. I didn't have to do that much. It was, honey, baby. I felt that in my Shondo, okay? <laughs>